Last week on Midweek Media Watch, our weekly catch-up with nights each Wednesday here on RNZ National, I looked at how the story of Erin Layton had been back in the news, eight years after it was first aired by TVNZ's Sunday show, and 15 years after she was abused as a teenager by a man called Paul Bennett. Now, earlier this month, Bennett and a woman whose name is still suppressed were found guilty of giving Erin ecstasy and indecently assaulting her when she was a teenager back in 2008. But suppression orders had prevented the media from reporting details of the case until now. However, Erin Layton waived the name suppression automatically granted to victims of sex crimes to tell TVNZ about her frustration that Bennett and the woman who was also charged with the crimes were in Australia, yet police had not acted to have them extradited and charged. Now, Paul Bennett was also the subject of plenty of other news stories in 2020 when he was also tried for fraud after he skipped to Australia in a stolen yacht. But Bennett wasn't tried for the sexual assault of Erin Layton until after those fraud prosecutions and TVNZ's Sunday show had aired Erin's story. And that programme and the court case have both ended up at the heart of a complicated legal and ethical conflict which prompted the former Sunday show producer Chris Cook to quit TVNZ. Now Erin Layton gave TVNZ an interview for that Sunday show on the understanding that it would remain confidential and off the record. But... Footage from it ended up being played in the Auckland District Court as part of Paul Bennett's defence. Last week, Chris Cook told the New Zealand Herald that TVNZ had breached a promise to keep that interview confidential. Now, for its part, TVNZ told the Herald's David Fisher and Katie Harris that it had gone to court to fight the release of that material, but eventually had to comply with a court order to produce it under the Criminal Disclosure Act. Now, Chris Cook said that he'd urged TVNZ to appeal that decision, but it didn't. And then Paul Bennett and the female defendant did and won access to even more of that video interview. Now, Chris Cook also told the Herald that he attended that Court of Appeal hearing and... It was clear there were grounds to appeal the district court decision. I was disgusted. After I sat through that hearing, I resigned. And last week, the Herald's Katie Harris and David Fisher reported that an internal TVNZ email they'd found showed that TVNZ did eventually decide not to appeal to higher courts to keep that material private. Now, TVNZ did tell the Herald it opposed the release of the footage at substantial cost, but they said TVNZ in this instance had been compelled by the courts to provide specific material for the purposes of a fair trial. And... Given the verdicts received at District Court and Court of Appeal, we did not appeal further. TVNZ also told the Herald, we have since updated our legal training with journalists to cover what assurances they can provide to sources and what guarantees they cannot give. But Erin Layton told the Herald last week the broadcaster didn't have her back in the end when push came to shove. Now, for his part, the former TVNZ producer Chris Cook said, a precedent now remains which enables this to happen again. And that means a source could never be completely confident that if they speak to the media about a matter that might end up in court, what they say might end up in evidence and not tied up in the vaults. Now, this is a situation that other media outlets are now considering themselves, and Chris Cook and Erin Layton are both pushing for a so-called shield law to ensure that journalists can guarantee the confidentiality of off-the-record interviews and information from sources. And in this, they have the support of Jennifer Nelson, an attorney for the Reporters' Committee for the Freedom of the Press in Washington, D.C.
There is no federal shield law in the United States that applies nationwide. Every state has its own either law or sort of recognized privilege that offers journalists at least some protection from subpoenas uh, that seek confidential source information or unpublished work product, off-the-record conversations, things of that nature. Um, It's not a silver bullet, if you will. There are steps that can be taken to overcome the privilege in the United States, but usually it's it's somewhat of a high bar. Uh, They have to show that they couldn't get the information from anyone else, that it is material to the case and whether the case is civil or criminal, with criminal matters favoring disclosure a little bit more, especially uh, when a defendant's right to a fair trial is at issue. There's a recognition within these shield laws that there is a public interest in encouraging the disclosure of newsworthy information. And where a journalist can be compelled to provide information or testify against an individual that has served as a source, there's a chilling effect that can occur. It makes someone less likely to talk to a journalist in the future. Well, the US legal system and even media conventions are probably fairly different in some fundamental ways. You've got your constitution, of course, First Amendment rights, things like that. We hear about cases where evidence can be sealed and unsealed, depending on applications. Uh, Also, whatever the conventions are for disclosure of different kinds of court cases, as you mentioned, sometimes different civil, criminal, uh, different bar to be met there. But if we were to try and introduce a shield law that would work, what do you think are the fundamental things that that law would have to say? A law should provide a mechanism by which a journalist who served with a legal document ordering them to testify can file some sort of motion or you know sort of protest uh, stating that they should not have to be subject to a subpoena or a legal process by which they'll be required to testify in court. It would allow a journalist to make the arguments. Uh, this is a confidential source. This is my unpublished work product. It should be, it, it's protected under the shield law. There could be some instances where a court may find that the journalist privilege is is overcome. Um, and But those cases should be the outliers rather than the norm. But this would recognize that there is a public interest in having journalists be able to keep their sources confidential where they have promised to do so. When I've talked to other journalists about this particular case involving Aaron Layton and Chris Cook here, they have that reaction like, goodness me, if an assurance was given to a source, you know, we ought to be able to have the option of, you know, going to prison if we need to, to protect the confidentiality of that source. Uh, It's that important and that fundamental. However, others have said, well, if we now know that the law can be used in this way and uh, some of this off-the-record material could end up in a court case, then surely the media should just be smart here and not keep this information in a discoverable form. You know, maybe not record the interview, take notes, establish the bona fides of your source, but not keep it in a form where a judge might order its release. Incentivizing journalists to delete their notes or off-the-record statements could potentially be problematic. They need those notes, that information for future reporting. 
or if a lawsuit is filed against them for another reason, a defamation lawsuit. Um, in the United States here, having evidence that a reporter has done their due diligence in reporting and that they were not negligent in their reporting is really key information in defending against a defamation claim. That really shouldn't be the case. And indeed, I suppose the source as well should have the option of like, okay, with the passage of time or other events, maybe I want to put that on the record and they should have the right, the media uh, outlet, to then put it on the record and publish it. Of course, if some amount of time has passed and a source has changed their mind and having the details of that prior conversation is is incredibly important. I still don't think it it solves the problem of the chilling effect on sources. Having shield laws in place provides sources with a level of confidence that they can trust. Not only will the journalists keep their promise to them, but that there is a process by which they can object to having to turn over this type of information. Well, if you're acting on behalf of uh, the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, it's pretty clear that you're on the side of the the public interest (laughs) that favours disclosure and the media's role in disclosing things in a functioning democracy and all of that. But look, isn't there, Jen, also a wider public interest here, which we need to consider? So in the case of Erin Layton, in the TVNZ interview, the lawyers for both the defendants wanted to highlight discrepancies between comments that Aaron had made um, during a police interview way back in 2008 and what was in the interview that she gave seven years later uh, to uh, TVNZ. So if this becomes relevant, if that is evidence that might uh, be required for you know, a fair trial or or an accurate uh, trial and and cross-examination, then isn't there a wider public interest that means that perhaps the media shouldn't have the right to withhold information that might change the outcome of a trial? I understand that point of view completely. There is a balancing test when it comes to the application of a shield law or a recognized reporter's privilege. And that affects how a judge will apply a privilege uh, based on the specific facts of the case. But I don't think that that is necessarily a good argument to say that there should be no privilege at all, because it would not be something that would be necessarily applied in every single case. It would be a privilege that could be overcome if the public interest required it. So if there is to be um, a push to create the kind of laws that Chris Cook is now Uh, in favour of, and Erin Layton to shield uh, journalists from this kind of uh, disclosure possibility. Uh, Would you say this is something that all media here in New Zealand need to have a kind of united position in because it's in their mutual interests and you would need high-profile lawyers and maybe even political supporters uh, to get in behind to actually uh, make it possible to change the law in in the way that would favour the media? You know, certainly I can I can speak to my experience in America that the more voices you have advocating for a significant change like this, the better. Journalists in New Zealand, journalists everywhere uh, have a basic understanding that developing source relationships um, and maintaining 
secrecy where needed, maintaining confidentiality where needed is incredibly important. Uh, he wrote to uh, the New Zealand Herald, one of our major newspapers, who reported uh, the first one to report on this case and the fact that this information had had to be disclosed in the way it was. Um, he said, uh, yeah, journalism professionals should know reporters must be able to save material that they can't use at first in case they do need it later. Circumstances change. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, put it, placing that burden on the journalists to make those tough decisions about whether or not to keep or destroy their notes. I just don't think that's good for journalism in the long run. Um, I think offering a protection to journalists that then must be overcome by the party seeking the information is, is a better path. That was Jennifer Nelson, an attorney for the Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press in Washington, D.C. Now, after The Herald recently revealed how Erin Layton's off-the-record interview with TBNZ ended up being aired in court as part of her abuser's defence, the reporter who conducted the interview, Ian Sinclair, wrote to The Herald to say he was surprised to see journalism experts in the paper's story telling The Herald that TBNZ could simply have erased the confidential stuff. And he went on to write this. I believe the video was wrongfully seized by a judicial system that should realise democracy depends on the rights of journalists to protect their sources. And journalism teachers should know that reporters must be able to save material they can't use at first in case they do need it later. And essentially, that's what Jennifer Nelson was saying earlier from Washington, D.C. But among his former colleagues at TBNZ is producer Chris Cook, who, as we heard earlier, resigned from TBNZ over what he said was the broken promise to Erin Layton. And Chris is now pushing for the sort of shield laws that they have in the US states and also several states in Australia. So this week I asked Chris Cook what change to the law might actually make a difference. You know, a precedent has been created with the release of this footage, so... I would imagine, yeah, that others facing charges before the court will move to, you know, obtain unbroadcast or unprinted material, looking for anything that will help them. And, yeah, it will have, I think, a, a chilling effect. That's why I believe a case needs to be mounted in the Supreme Court to challenge and overturn this. Uh, the Evidence Act, a different piece of law, um, you know, does have a, a presumption supporting a journalist's relationship with the source. Uh, so, you know, that's supported in the way uh, that it's not uh, with this um, this piece of law governing disclosure on court cases. Do you envisage something really tight, completely binding that will make it clear to judges that they don't have much room to manoeuvre? Is that what you want in a shield law for New Zealand? I believe a shield law should confer absolute protection because, you know, protecting unpublished and confidential information from disclosure in any court proceeding. Journalists should be able to retain off the record information without fear of seizure. And that, I mean, what's on the record today may be important information that in time can be reported on. Journalism relies on being able to receive and impart information. The situation can't allow it to be continue as it is. And so do you think actually if the law is changed, so that law that, that governs discovery, exchange of evidence before a trial, you know, if it doesn't have the same starting presumption uh, about a journalist's relationship with the sources, the Evidence Act, if, if it works, a shield law, uh, a change to maybe the existing law used in this case, will bring the both laws into line. Yeah, it's it, about bringing those two laws into line, the you know Criminal Procedures Act and, and the protections so-called protections that sit there in the Evidence Act. Even under those um, laws, Section 68 about sources, Section 69 about confidential information, 
it looks like there's a right to protect journalists, but the reality is that courts keep granting uh, orders well against journalists in the in the eyes of the court. So-called fair trial rights, it seems, will always trump our rights as journalists to keep confidences. The bar is just too low, even in this case with Aaron, and that's why I believe, like the Supreme Court case, you know, it, it needs to be taken. TVNZ needs to take it. If they don't, somebody else should. I mean, it may be something I, I could even look at with the help of, uh, uh, I guess, a, a lawyer. You know, but, but they're also I mean, obliged to comply by a court order, aren't they? If TVNZ considered they were complying with a court order, they were doing the right thing, and that a, a challenge further you know, upwards towards Supreme Court wouldn't have been effective, if that was their legal advice or the opinion of their in-house counsel, doesn't that kind of tie the hands of um, you know, the people above you at TVNZ at that time? Well, you're talking right at the end, once there's been a decision made by the court, talking about what happened in the court, the decision of the judges, yes, and, and that it's challengeable. Uh, there is opportunity to challenge it by appealing, and that, that's the whole issue, that uh, didn't happen with the district court decision, there was no appeal, the, the footage was given over, and the court of appeal decision Again, there's no challenge to the Supreme Court. And it's such an important issue that, that it should be challenged. What about that argument that there's also a wider public interest here, uh, which is served by allowing defendants, legal teams to access potentially confidential stuff that the media hold, which could be relevant uh, in the case of a trial, which could be important in guaranteeing um, a fair trial when the stakes are high? Well, you, you can't... Uh, it's a direct clash of rights, really. I mean, you can't have that public interest being served and also serve the public interest of journalists being able to do their job and honour off-the-record commitments. I mean, one case such as this, Aaron's case, has a crippling wide impact. I mean, I believe the wider, higher public interest sits in maintaining the trust in the media because of its important role. I mean, journalism relies on people coming forward with information and that requires trust and sometimes that can involve keeping things confidential and if there can't be certainty that journalists can keep off the record and promises then the public's not going to come forward and important stories can't, won't be told. Giving information and us being a part of a police process or a, a court process, I mean it, we can't be seen to be used as an arm of the state by providing information to law enforcement or the courts. I mean, the public's reaction to that happening is mistrust, which is devastating to what we do. But yourself and Erin Layton have also met with Melissa Lee. She's the long-serving uh, broadcasting and media spokesperson for the National Party, uh, possibly uh, the next minister in a national-led government. What, what did she have to say, if you're able to disclose that? Well, the meeting was a start. You know, she understands the importance of journalists being able to keep off-the-record commitments and maintaining trust in the media. She gave us a lot of her time, and we agreed to talk again. And finally, uh, Chris, yourself and your former colleague Ian Sinclair, you know, you, you both feel clearly let down by TVNZ. You, you quit TVNZ over this after many, many years with the organisation as a producer and a journalist. I suppose in the end, do you still feel this really is about Erin, you know, because this is a person who waived her own... Uh, right to keep herself anonymous um, as the victim of, of crime, finds that um, you know her own confidentiality breached in another way because she's dealt with a media organisation. What happened to Erin was an 
acceptable and that's why I resigned because a promise was made to her and I was um, the person at the forefront of that having to deliver that message to a you know a victim of sexual assault so just entirely unacceptable situation but I hope that's righted and I hope an apology is delivered to Erin Layton. That was former TVNZ current affairs producer Chris Cook, who resigned from TVNZ after parts of an interview with Erin Layton that he'd helped arrange back in 2015 on condition of confidentiality ended up being aired in court as part of the defence of two people subsequently found guilty of sexually abusing her and plying her with a Class B drug.